0: Hi, this is Scott Thompson. Welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends. Feel free to subscribe. Coming up on today's show, last weekend as we head into the federal election, what do the polls say? What does everyone say about minority governments and endorsements? We touch on all of this. And what can the city do to get a handle on the protests in the City Hall forecourt? It's all coming up on the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. All right, uh, we're heading down to crunch time. As uh, as I mentioned, uh, the The federal election it comes to, uh, the whole campaign comes to a head October 21st, uh, come Monday. And we will uh, decide uh, if we stay the same or if we make some changes. And that's all up to you. Make sure that you uh, do your dil- due diligence and uh, take a peek at all the uh, candidates in your area and what they offer to you and your how they reflect your point of view. And then... Uh, Close your eyes, spin around three times, and vote. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, to talk more about all of this and what the polls say as we head into the last weekend, Sean Simpson is with us from Ipsos. He's on the line now. Sean, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. No problem. So you've got a very uh, a, a, a very uh, uh, magnified view of what we're going to see. Uh, of what the polls say, we're going to see uh, come Monday. What are the chances of what the polls say right now being vastly different from what we see come Monday? Not because well, of the po- not because of the polling, but because people uh, change their mind when they walk through the uh, into the booth.
1: Yeah, well, there's a lot going on in in people's minds. The calculus is complicated this time because it's so close. Uh, we know that four in ten Canadians want a minority government, so. You know, they have to think about what the best way to try and deliver that is because we don't vote nationally, we vote locally. And so um, it's, it's much more complicated than it seems on the face of it.
0: Uh, So let's go over these uh, latest numbers that you have uh, in regard to minority government. There's been lots of chatter in regard to minority of late. uh, As we mentioned earlier on, it started, I guess, last week, and then it kind of subsided for a while as as, uh, each leader wanted to sort of uh, drive home the the campaign uh, through the finish line as opposed to talking minorities. But it it is something that Canadians are certainly talking about. Uh, The polls say that four in ten...
1: Uh, Would like a minority, 6 and 10, no. Want a majority? That's right. Uh, I think most in most elections, Canadians want uh, a majority so that we don't have to do it again. Yeah. Um, and we still have 60% who want one, but 4 in 10 wanting a minority is actually pretty high. And I, I think part of the reason is because nearly 4 in 10 also say they don't like any of the leaders they have to choose from. Mm. And that's up 10 points from the last campaign. So when you're not excited about any of the options, then why would you want to give them a majority
0: so are we up uh, as far as those wanting a minority are we up 10 points from last election
1: on that or is that
0: specific to the leaders
1: yeah no the trend is is very similar so uh, the 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 dynamic is a little bit different this time around uh, we also know that while six and ten canadians say they're voting for something four and ten have some kind of ulterior motive so for example 19 percent are voting to make sure another party doesn't win. Thirteen mm-hmm. percent are voting the way they are to express their disgust with the other parties, particularly block voters. And six percent say that they're actually trying to prevent some kind of coalition or or uh, minority government. Yeah. So who is it?
0: Who are the four and ten percent? The four and ten. Yeah.
1: It, well, it, it, they're actually fairly evenly distributed across the country, uh, across. Um, uh, age ranges and genders, for example. But the four in 10 who want a minority are disproportionately NDP, Green, say even block voters. Wouldn't that those be, com- com- wanna, wouldn't that be
0: common sense though, Sean, in the sense that obviously those whose parties probably don't stand a good chance of forming government would want a minority government. That being yeah, said, absolutely. If, if That being said, it still does show the
1: amount of support that these parties are now gaining. That's right. And I think it is also is informing the strategy, right? For people who want a minority, even if it's a a liberal minority, they may not actually be voting liberal. They may be voting NDP, for example, to try to stop the liberals from getting a majority. Strategic voting, does it backfire? Oh, yeah, it can. Uh, In order for strategic voting to work the way it's supposed to, you actually need to have an understanding of what's happening in your riding. Uh, Polls are national. At best, we might get some regional, you know, provincial figures, Um, but that doesn't mean that that's what's happening in your own riding. You need to know who's first and who's second and understanding the implications of, of, of that vote, because You know, in most ridings, the NDP isn't fighting for first place. And so thinking that the NDP is the best place to go uh, for a strategic vote is is just wrong in many cases. Mm. Do we know do we know enough as voters to vote strategically? I think we know enough as voters to know that we want to vote strategically, but maybe not in the proper execution of it. It takes
0: perhaps more research than just even finding out about each individual candidate, would it not?
1: Yeah, probably what you have to do is go to uh, to some of the people who aggregate polls from the various firms um, and, uh, you know, try to get a bigger sample size and look at what those predictions are. Or the Laurier Institute uh, for the Study of Public Opinion and Policy, mm-hmm. they put out a seat model looking across various sources to try to figure out what the consensus is, if there is one, and then... You know, figuring out how your vote aligns with that uh, prediction. Um, Any chance we could see a majority this election? I don't see a path to it. Uh, The Bloc are too strong in Quebec for the Liberals to get to a majority. The Liberals are too strong in Ontario and even the 905 in order for the Conservatives to get a majority. And I, I think it's out of the question for the other parties.
0: What will we see over the course of the weekend? This is uh, obviously the last weekend for the candidates to get their message out. Do we see any sort of wholesale changes or just trying to, to, as I mentioned earlier, get this thing over the finish line?
1: Yeah, I I think in the remaining days, it's all about mobilizing your core supporters. So we're going to see the leaders in those regions trying to keep people excited. You know, Jagmeet Singh and the NDP may be coming down your way uh, because there's some seats that the NDP can pick up there. I think the leaders have to spend time in the 905 region of the GTA because there are about a dozen key swing ridings there with very close races.
0: Uh, Are we thinking differently about minority governments than we have in the
1: past? I think people are more receptive to a minority government, Um, so long as they get some work done. You know, it, it in a minority situation, I think it's very easy for Canadian politics to turn more American. And what I mean by that is, you know, deal making and, and pork and other things to try to bring other parties on side with you. But if the parties can truly work together, like they seem to be doing in British Columbia, the NDP and the Green Party, for example, they've governed now, I think, for over two years, um, if we could do that federally, then I think Canadians would be happy with The minority. Considering how
0: divisive this uh, campaign has been, uh, even leaders, some leaders saying they won't work with others, Mm -hmm. what is the chance of getting a functional minority government out of
1: this? I think it depends on who has the most seats. If uh, it's a liberal-led minority, I think the liberals and the NDP can play nice for a period of time. If it's a conservative-led uh, minority, I think we're going to be in a situation where nobody wants to be labeled as being in a coalition with them. So they'll have to govern more on an ad hoc basis, try to find an ally on each particular issue.
0: Uh, does this, do you think this will be an election where uh, it's going to take a long time to figure out the results? We'll be we'll be uh, up into uh, Monday
1: night before we late Monday night, early uh, the next morning before we know who the winner is. Oh, I think so. Um, for a couple of reasons. The first British Columbia is so close. Uh, all the three major parties are essentially tied out there at, at the moment. But the other thing is that the person with the most votes doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be prime minister. Uh, you know, we could have a situation where the popular vote and the seat count don't align. We could have a situation where the party that has fewer seats can build a coalition and have more than the other guy. So it's all very complicated. As you see this whole election
0: campaign shake down, how do you compare it to other years, other past elections?
1: It's closer than any that I can recall. I mean, 04 and 06 were close. Those both produced minorities. But federally in a decade, we haven't had anything like this where it's essentially been a statistical tie for the two front-running parties the entire time. And now exacerbating the difficulties that we're having as pollsters to figure out what's going on, you have a surge for the bloc in Quebec and for NDP in the rest of the country.
0: Uh, You bring up a valid point. Often during the campaign, you will see uh, the top two parties neck and neck, but for so long, very unusual. Usually something cracks, something falls, something happens to break that that deadlock.
1: Yeah, there's usually a defining moment that you can pinpoint after the fact that changed the tide well our defining moment was back in february and march with ssc Laveland. so it's hard to see what's happening in this current campaign period that is the defining moment certainly the debates help uh jagmeet singh but he's not going to win he may be a kingmaker but there, there's nothing that's broken the logjam at the top so as pollsters what do you do over the weekend you continually pull through the weekend yeah, we're going to um, keep our, our finger on the pulse of Canadians to try to figure out who has some momentum going into Election Day and also who's most likely to show up and vote because a tie can't end in a tie, um, so something has to break that. And uh, I think you know, one party will get a ballot box bonus, and it's usually the Conservatives.
0: Uh, what about turnout? Thoughts there? Uh, expecting more just simply because we saw more at the advance? Because at the beginning of this campaign, many people thought, you know what, it's, it's, you know, it's a campaign of disillusion, many people staying home, people keep becoming cynical about this, uh, and, and then it seemed to be the last week of the campaign, things were pretty flat. So what about turnout?
1: What are you thinking? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, more people voted in advance polls. That could mean nothing or everything. We have no idea. All we know is that more people voted early because Elections Canada is making it easier to And do you know so. what,
0: Sean? I mean, that was my personal antidote, but I think that goes a long way in the lives that we lead, the technology, whatever. I mean, if you can do it the week ahead of time, why wouldn't why not? you?
1: Yeah. yeah, exactly. Uh, so on one hand, we've got a very close race, meaning that every vote counts and that inspires people to go vote. On the other hand, we have a general dislike of the party leaders or those that we have to choose from. And that maybe keeps people home. So it's hard to know how that's going to net out. I think it's going to be slightly lower than it was last time.
0: Really? Well, and then yeah. again, last year or last time wasn't
1: an exception, was it not? Oh, yeah. Millennials, uh, uh, those people under the age of 35, their participation rate increased by almost 20 points. Uh, So I don't know whether that's going to happen again. I'm not seeing all that level of enthusiasm from younger Canadians.
0: Uh, Can you see elections and the the process, the campaigns, the way they're being run, can you see that changing? Uh, Any idea if we've learned anything from this exercise?
1: Well... Uh, I think the calls for electoral reform will be renewed, particularly if we have a situation where the popular vote and the seat count do not align. Uh, I think Elections Canada will continue to make it easier for people to vote, uh, probably looking at online voting at some point in the future, and that should increase voter participation rates among younger Canadians in particular.
0: Uh, As you mentioned, Millennials came out last time uh, in droves. Usually once you vote
1: once, you keep going though, don't you? I would like to think it's habitual. But uh, voter turnout rates tend to fluctuate up and down. So while I'd like it to be true, I don't think it's the case. All right. Sean Simpson has been
0: with us from Ipsos. Sean, as always, thanks so much for the time. Have a great weekend. Good luck. My I'm pleasure. sure, I'm sure you. you'll be working for most of it. Thank you. You got it. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Don't answer your door all weekend. Just... <laughs> Just pretend it, just pretend the lights are out or just turn the lights out, hide behind the couch. No door knocking. Uh, you can be sure this weekend uh, will be filled with all kinds of messaging from all uh, political parties. Uh, again, what is important that you do is uh, try to uh, decipher through all of it, try to figure out what uh, what is important to you. And the candidate that best represents that. And then make sure you get out and vote. Best uh, advice we could give you. All right. uh, Andrew Shearer made a comment yesterday that it's modern convention that if the leader of a party doesn't win with the most seats, then they quit. uh, Which has brought up a whole other discussion that I'm not sure we need to, to have at this point. Uh, We'll talk about that and various other things as we head into the last weekend of this election campaign. Michael Tobe is with us, Troy Media syndicated columnist, contributor to The Washington Times, former speechwriter for Stephen Harper. He is with us now. Michael, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. My pleasure, Scott. Uh, Will the polls on Friday predict the outcome on Monday? Will we see on Monday pretty much what we think we're seeing in the polls now?
2: Um, Not necessarily sometimes in the campaign the last forty eight hours can be very crucial where people sort of go through their last-minute thoughts including people who are sitting on the fence and can't really make a decision between several parties what is kind of interesting and you may hear it actually say from some of the people who are calling into your show or just people who are residents of hamilton or just people who live in ontario or beyond in canada Is that a lot of people just can't make up their minds about either the parties of the left or the parties of the right and which way they want to go? Which I think is actually more astonishing than anything else. Yes, most people are not, say, as ideological as I am or as rigid as I am, I guess, and pick one side or the other. But on the other hand, usually you have by now a clear indication from people who are sitting on the fence, who are undecided, about which way they want to turn, about which way they, what direction they want for the country. Which ideas they think are best. Part of the problem is, of course, is we haven't discussed a lot about policy, so there aren't many ideas to really go about. It's more been a campaign of nastiness, month slinging, and just personal travails, I guess is the best way to explain it. So I think I, what we're seeing right now is certainly going to be a close election, and I would be kind of shocked if after Monday it wasn't a close election, possibly one of the closest in Canadian history. On the other hand, there's enough room or enough leeway for people to move around, especially on the progressive side where there's a lot of votes to be had and there's a lot of, well, a lot of shifting around going on right now between people who can't decide between Justin Trudeau and the Liberals, Jagmeet Singh and the NDP, Elizabeth May and the Greens, and they're just sort of flipping around a fair bit. Plus you also have the wild card of the Bloc Québécois, who appear to me, or at least in all, for all intents and purposes, will do very well on Monday and may actually reach a level of 40 or more seats in Quebec, which will be the first time they've had it in many, many years. You put that all together in the same stew, it's very difficult mm. to figure out what we're going to see on Monday.
0: Do you see or would you be surprised if someone gets a majority, either the Liberals or Conservatives?
2: Yes, I know that one, uh, one place, Main Street Research, is actually calling for a liberal majority as of right now. And with all respect to K- uh, Kido Maje, who runs it, I don't see that happening. I certainly see a very close election. I certainly see maybe one party having maybe 10 or 15 more seats than the other. But a majority? No. Not with the numbers that we're looking at currently. Both the liberals and the Tories are hovering in the low 30s, with the NDP hovering, let's say, in the high teens, about 18 to as high as 20. I think they've bottomed out roughly about there. So unless something changes in the next 48 hours, as I suggested before, you're looking at a scenario of a minority government. It could be minority liberal, it could be minority Tory, we have no idea. But a majority government with this, the only way it could potentially happen is if you have something similar to what happened in Ontario when Bob Ray was elected. We have all these three-way races, at least in this case, and everything starts moving in the direction of one party, be it the Liberals or the Tories, by extremely narrow margins. But I think what happened with Ray in Ontario in 1990 was a -a once-in-a-lifetime thing. I don't think we're going to see it again. But if we do, well, then all bets are off.
0: Could the polls be wrong or the information that the voters, given the pollsters, be wrong? And I just keep going back to the United States and no one ever, 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 ever predicting Trump to win, and
2: look what happened. No, exactly. Look, it's true, and I've written about it before. I've talked about it many times. I'm sure you have as well. A lot of people, when they speak to pollsters, are either called at inopportune times or just irritated to be called in general so those that answer, some of them, will just provide false information. And we've seen that happen a lot in history. One of the classic examples was when Ronald Reagan won New York in 1984 in the United States. <clears throat> when they did polling in New York, quite frankly, most people thought that Walter Mondale would actually win that state. They No, not by a big margin, but by enough. Also as well, when Reagan was competitive in 1980 against Jimmy Carter that year, in New York, although he ultimately didn't get it, it would really sort of startle people that it was that close because the numbers didn't seem to show it. We've seen the same thing in Canada as well, where some people just say whatever they want off the top of their head or say whatever they think people want them to hear publicly to the pollsters, but then in private, when you're in the ballot box, you have your ballot in front of you, and you have to mark an X besides one of the candidates, you pick something completely different. The problem is that polling is, not, is imperfect. No matter how many pollsters come out and say that you know, there's a lot of science behind it and they're working hard to find those numbers and find those patterns, which they most definitely are, they can only go on the information that they're provided or that they're given. So if they get, unfortunately,
0: exactly. certain periods of
2: time or certain sequences where people lie on a regular basis or just don't tell the truth or fudge their answers to some degree then the information that comes out, yeah, it's interesting, but it's skewed. It's incorrect. It's invalid. It shouldn't actually motivate people one way or the other. Not that polling information, quite frankly, should be the motivating factor, but as we know in some cases it is. Well, everybody's talking about
0: strategic voting now in a minority government, so you think that's got to play a factor here in this election.
2: Maybe, maybe not. I mean, look, if it's a three-way race, we could be looking at something very similar, as I suggested to someone earlier this week, like what happened in Quebec in the provincial election of 2007, where the Liberals, the old ADQ, who no longer exists today, and the Parti Québécois all basically got around the same number of seats, the same number of votes, and the same percentages overall. Again, exceedingly unusual. You know, there's only been two examples of that in Canadian history, and the last time it happened was a a very close election in Atlantic Canada, I think in the 1930s or 40s, where the numbers were literally spot on, like almost drop dead exactly equal. You don't see that very often. Usually there is one party that pushes ahead or steams forward a little bit, even if it's not by a huge margin. So it's not common. But again, I mean, are, are we looking at a federal equivalent to the two thousand seven quebec election this year it's possible based on the numbers although based on the fact that the n d p seems to have bottomed out at around twenty percent in the polls that can only get you so many seats, even in three-way splits which means that in the end, ultimately, it'll be the liberals and Tories who will be very neck and neck. And that's ultimately what I think will happen on Monday.
0: Does a minority government mean another election soon? I mean, not always. Stephen Harper made it work for quite a while. Uh, But considering this is such a divisive campaign, I mean, I can't see a minority government being much different than the campaign itself.
2: Yes, yeah, some minority governments have lasted longer than others. You're quite right. My old friend and boss had two minority governments that lasted quite a long time, two years plus in each case, which was unusual. Lester Pearson also had one, if I'm not mistaken, that lasted over two years. There are examples of it from time to time. But the problem is that, generally speaking, the lifespan of a minority government is, on average, about 14 to 16 months, no more than that. And I think now, <clears throat> because society is so polarized, Scott, and people are so rigid in their points of view and unwilling to discuss issues or build political bridges or find, you know, whatever the vaunted middle road is on a particular issue, so to speak. I think that, unfortunately, yes, to answer your question, we are looking at a very early return to the uh, to back to the polls if things don't work out. That is going to obviously frustrate an enormous amount of Canadians. It will also cost us a lot of money because believe it or not, ladies and gentlemen, elections <laughs> cost taxpayer dollars and they cost several hundred million to run an election. It is a very very pricey thing. So when you put it all together, you would think that most Canadians, especially if they're going to go out and vote on the October 21st, which I hope most are, they would want to make sure that no matter who is elected let's say, in a minority government situation, be it the Tories or the Liberals, that the government at lasts as long as it possibly can, that the other parties are at least willing to work nominally, you know, piece by piece, issue by issue, to ensure that it lasts for a period of time. That would be a good thing, not only for democracy, but for the country in general. But in reality, will we be going back to the polls very soon? Without question.
0: Uh, What is all the chatter with uh, Andrew Scheer talking about modern convention, meaning whoever has the most seats wins, uh, or should? Uh, What is he talking about, and why is he bringing this up now?
2: Well, it's not just Andrew Scheer. If you remember, it's been circulating. Justin Trudeau, back in 2015, said exactly the same thing before he was elected. Generally speaking, you can, you can do it. This way.
0: Where's that clip, Michael? Dig it out.
2: Well, I can't do it. I, number one, I'm sitting on radio. And number two, I can't do it. No, it's out there. You can yeah, actually yeah. find it. It's been circulating in the web. It was an interview, I believe, if, if it's helpful to you, that Trudeau did with Peter Mansbridge back in 2015. So it's with the CBC. But anyway, basically, the two men said virtually the same thing, is that whoever wins the most seats should form the next government. That's a yes and a no answer, Scott. Uh, the, the, The yes part is, by modern convention, that is sometimes how it works. However, if you look at the Westminster model of parliamentary democracy, the voting system and the system of government that we operate under, that has not been historically the case. Sometimes the party that wins the most amount of seats doesn't get to form the next government. That does occasionally happen. And unfortunately, the problem is such, We are currently sitting with a majority government, and this being a majority liberal government, Justin Trudeau, that was elected in 2015. Let's say on Monday he's defeated by the Tories with a minority government, or the liberals themselves have a minority government. That's when a lot of gerrymandering, political shifting, discussions and backroom things start to occur, because a minority Tory government cannot naturally replace a liberal majority government at least in the instance that i'm giving in fact if anything justin trudeau has first crack at it so he has the ability to either form an alliance or some sort of formal informal coalition with the other parties to stay in power but there are also instances where a party goes down to defeat that had a previous majority such as what happened with christy clark in bc with the liberal party who had a majority government and in twenty seventeen Lost their majority down to and went down to a one seat minority government. Attempted to form a coalition with the BC Greens, were unable to do so. Still went ahead with the throne speech. Hoped to God that somehow somebody would be nice enough to keep them afloat for a little while. But it didn't happen because you know, quite frankly, the NDP and the BC Greens had already formed an alliance at that point or an agreement. So when Christy Clark threw in her throne speech, it was defeated immediately, and the NDP took over with the Greens propping them up, and that's why John Horgan is still premier there to this day. Mm. The same thing could potentially happen federally as well. But no, it doesn't unfortunately hold water if you look at history that because a party wins the most seats, it will form necessarily the next So why does
0: he bring this up? It just sounds distracting.
2: Well, because you're trying to basically enforce the idea, I think, that majority should always rule. And that's typically what, if you go back in history, that's what typically people prefer. That's what they want to have. Even though Canada has a multi party system, the objective has always been to have a stable majority government. In other words, a government that, yeah, it doesn't necessarily win 50% or more of the popular vote, but in terms of the way the seats break down, based on the the first-past-the-post system that we currently use for our elections it creates enough seats and enough let's say supremacy or the confidence of the house has been established for a long period of time that you can have a government run for its four to five-year cycle so that's why they're talking about it. they're basically trying to say that we can get things done, that being Andrew Scheer, Justin Trudeau, others, we can get things done, we can ensure that policies will be put forward that will be helpful to Canadians. We have the right ideas in mind, but at the same time, the only way this is going to happen, ladies and gentlemen, is if you give us a majority government. So that's the sort of messaging that they typically use. It's not unusual by any means. We've heard it in other elections. We just haven't had an election necessarily as close as this one.
0: Uh, what about the Barack Obama endorsement? Uh, the prime minister was asked if this was solicited. He didn't answer. He sort of sidestepped the whole thing, which <laughs> leads one to believe that they asked for it. It's
2: possible. I don't know for sure, obviously.
0: We don't We're know for sure, pretty- and I want to restate that. But why would he just not say, why? you know, he said we don't tell a Barack Obama what to do, but why didn't he just come out and say ah, we didn't tell Barack Obama to write that?
2: I don't know. You would have to ask them. I mean, unfortunately, you're right. By not saying it that way or something like it, they open up the air of possibility that, well, that they did solicit that endorsement. Now, look, I don't know for sure. It's possible. It wouldn't surprise me if that maybe they had private conversations. They may or may not have hoped for an endorsement. Maybe they expected one. I have no idea. Although at the same time, and I know that people like former... Uh, federal Tory cabinet minister <clears throat> pardon me and former well, I guess the last leader of the old Progressive Conservatives, Peter McKay, came out and sort of said that, you know, that international leaders really shouldn't be endorsing people in our country or shouldn't be doing it as a matter of process. The fact is that lots of them do it. I mean I don't have a, I don't care one way or the other about the fact that Barack Obama endorsed Justin Trudeau because it's not going to do anything or change anything. The same way that when Donald Trump tapped, as, as you may remember, indirectly, uh, Britain's Prime Minister, or now Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, when he was running for the leadership of his party, you know he basically said he wanted Johnson to win, which is, in effect, an endorsement. Johnson didn't accept the endorsement, but mm-hmm. it was out there. In this case, obviously, Justin Trudeau is, is really not going to say one thing or another against Barack Obama's endorsement, and he'll obviously gladly discuss it. And sure, it'll obviously make a lot of progressive people or left leaning people very happy to see this alliance or the renewal of the bromance these two men had, so to speak, when they were both world leaders. But if you really think that Barack Obama's magical endorsement is going to change people's minds or actually make people who've been sitting on the fence say, well, if Obama is saying that Justin Trudeau is great, then maybe I should go ahead and vote for him, it's not going to happen. And also, it is worth noting as well, and I I think this stands out as a separate point, it is astonishing to me, Scott, that America's first black president Endorsed a man who appeared in black. I that's exactly on what three I thought. Occasions.
0: Well, then the question right after that was, did he apologize to Barack Obama? And of course, that wasn't answered uh, here. In re- in reference to what you said regarding the CBC 2015, when asked in 2015 if the party with the most number of seats should have the right to try to govern, Trudeau said, "That's the way it's always been. Mm-hmm. Um, whoever commands the most seats gets the first shot at governing. Whoever gets the most seats gets the first shot at trying to command the confidence of the which house."
2: Isn't true at all. It's a lie. That's not true.
0: There There you go. All right, it's going to be a fascinating weekend. Thank you so much, Michael. Much appreciated for all your time. My pleasure. Have a good weekend. You too. Michael Tobe, Troy Media, syndicated columnist, contributor to The Washington Times, former speechwriter for uh, Stephen Harper. Uh, We had someone ask a question in regard to why not more referendums. Uh, I have a one-word answer for that. Brexit. I don't think we know enough as individuals to make those sorts of decisions. (laughs) You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. There has been an ongoing issue at City Hall, as you know, uh, with demonstrations, which are totally legal. You're allowed to do that. You're allowed to use the public space to uh, convey your message, freedom of speech, that sort of thing. And as a matter of fact, the new City Hall, when it was redesigned, was... In order to make people more, one of the reasons, in order to make it more friendly for citizens and such and give a space for people to uh, to speak their mind and hold certain events and, and what have you, make it more. Uh, make it more uh, friendly, uh, uh, citizen friendly to all of those that are using City Hall. Well, with that comes those that I guess uh, take advantage of that opportunity. We've certainly seen what has happened uh, over the uh, several weeks, months throughout the summer with uh, the pride festivities and such and how it has gotten out of hand. And Hamilton has found itself sort of at a crossroads wondering how to uh, protect freedom of speech and deal with uh, what, what sometimes evolves into, into violence. Uh, Counselors in Hamilton continue to take aim at protests held in front of City Hall as council has enacted enacted a new bylaw and begun a search for a consultant to help the city mitigate potential uh, hate-related incidents. The city already has a bylaw, in effect, dealing with vulgar language and acts of violence. However, Hamilton's General Issues Committee took further steps on Wednesday, adding rules that prohibit interference with the operation of a city premises and or interference with others' uh, use of a city uh, premises. The new bylaw also presi- uh, prohibits the uh, contravention of a city of Hamilton uh, policy governing the conduct of persons entering a city, pro- uh, a city premises. Individuals who break the new bylaw rules could be banned from the city property for anywhere uh, from seven days to a few years, or in most uh, the worst case uh, scenario, possibly indefinitely. Uh, to talk more about all of this, former mayor of the city of Hamilton, Larry Diani, and he is with us now. Larry, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Uh, Nice to hear from you, uh, Scott. So what's different here, Larry? What has happened? Explain this in layman terms for us.
3: Well, I wish I could. It it is a a complicated issue. There's no question about that. And we're living in very strange times politically. We see that all over the world. We not only see it here in Hamilton, but we see it, you know, down south in Europe. uh, 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 All across the world, there seems to be this unrest and polarization and anger, and I think uh, it's been fueled in, to, to a great extent by the proliferation of uh, of social media. And I don't want to blame social media, but it is the preferred method of transmitting messages and gathering people. Everyone now has
0: audience. a everyone now has a voice.
3: Everybody's got a voice, and we used to think—at least I thought naively, perhaps—that that was a good thing. That mm. that was going to democratize our society, where everybody's voice could be heard and 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 uh, it it would count towards something i never saw that it would take such a a turn though where people can be so toxic in their opinions and can gather like-minded toxicity around them and uh, and create uh, what uh, can best be described as uh, as problems for a democratic society that has people then question the very freedoms that we have
0: and what i find fascinating in this discussion larry is that it's a very small minority of people who now have the same platform as the majority does and this often appears larger than what it is oh
3: absolutely i thought i've likened it you know to the peacock that uh that you know puffs itself
2: yeah. yeah.
3: up uh, beyond its size uh, to look uh, uh maybe either menacing or yep. or bigger th- than it really is but it's a factor and i think that's part of what's going on not the only thing that's going on but part of what's going on uh in uh, in hamilton in our four courts and after all and we've chatted about this before, city hall is the people's place it is where people should gather and celebrate and hear messages and uh, and express opinions even uh, and we've had lots of that over the years, certainly when I was involved politically. But we used to have a lot of that as well. But it never was as toxic, even though it might have been passionate, even though people were unhappy with certain things. Uh, it didn't seem to be as toxic as it is now. And and so you've got these people uh, who, you know, uh, I don't know how to describe them anymore. Because the moment you say the Yellow Vesters, you seem to be insulting people who legitimately wear yellow vests for their work-related activities. Uh, But you've got, you know, these people who are angry at immigrants, angry at the United Nations, angry at, uh, you know, Antifa, angry at those on the left of the political spectrum. Uh, And they're demonstrating and making their presence felt, small though they be, they're there. And then you've got those who react to that, who come on the other side, and they together create a toxic mix which makes it seem bigger than it
0: is. And even together, they are still the extreme minority.
3: Absolutely the extreme minority, and and nobody wants to see uh, extreme uh, opinions expressed on either side of the spectrum. I think, you know, the ideal would be this, that everybody should have a chance to express their opinion. We may not like that opinion, but we should respectfully listen and then rebut that opinion where you draw the line is on hateful, um, um, hate-filled and violence-inciting uh, uh, opinions. Those certainly are against the laws today and should somehow be stopped by the proper authorities. But the fact that, that I may voice an anti-immigrant stance, as long as I am not suggesting that immigrants be harmed in any way, you know, I don't agree with them, but let them say what they need to say. The the, the decision makers uh, need to take that into account and then do the right thing. And I'm talking about the federal and uh, provincial levels, as well as the municipal levels. We hear that noise, dismiss it, and go on with doing the right thing. The worst that can happen, though, is that when you get the boomerang effect from the other side yeah. <laughs> where people try to shout each other down. Yeah. And so council is caught, right? Mm-hmm. Because there are people saying you're not doing anything. You're leaving us vulnerable. You're encouraging hate. I don't think council is doing anything, any of those things at all. But they focus on council because they're accessible. They focus on the mayor because he is accessible. And and they try to, to, to thrust all of all of the anger on the one person yeah. or the council as a whole so that they would do something in reaction. And I heard, you know, I read in the paper, I think it was just this morning, where one of the councillors um, suggested that maybe the actions that are being taken are being taken not because they'll have any good results, but because it will at least show that we're doing something as ineffectual mm. as it may be. And that's the most unfortunate part of it all, if that were to be true. Uh,
0: what? How do other cities handle this, Larry? I mean, the city's in the process of hiring a consultant in regard to this. What can a consultant do? How do other cities handle this?
3: Well, and and that's a great question in terms of what, what a consultant can do. And so you'd have to see, uh, if they do hire a consultant, what the terms of reference are, and what the mandate uh, might be. And if it's to provide some advice, I mean, city hires can cities hire consultants for all kinds of reasons. Uh, but if they expect that the consultant is going to solve this problem, regardless of the advice that might be given, it's a little more complex than that. But how do other cities do it? You know, I, 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 and I don't know whether I know what every other city is doing, uh, but it seems as if Hamilton, um, I, it seems as if people have hit a nerve with Hamilton. They're getting a reaction. And this might be extremist, and I'll make some of my friends happy when they hear me say this, but maybe the best thing to do is just to ignore all of this. Mm. Keep the peace, yes, have the uh, the forces of public order, the police and security guards that are now roaming around City Hall, have them around to make sure that, you know, people do not cross the line into violence and so on. But what, what, what would happen if we just ignored these fringe elements? Mm. Uh, Yes, some of them would be upset that not enough is being done. But I'll bet you they'd go on to some other platform. At least that would be my hope. That would go on to some other platform because they're not getting the press. They're not getting the reaction. They're not getting the commentary. They're not getting the criticisms. And and maybe it just will go away on its own. Now, that's not to suggest, because I know what the criticisms, my words, will be. That's not to suggest that we encourage hate, we promote hate. As a community, that we that we somehow simply shrug when we see it happen, Uh, all of those things need to be dealt with and need to be nipped at the at the uh, you know at Mm -hmm. at, right at the base. But if we're simply going to go through some motions so that we look as if we're doing something, that is totally wrong, um, and not only wrong but expensive uh, and fruitless. At the end of the day, it won't do what we want it to do. Uh, so, we need a, a fresh approach to this problem, I think.
0: Larry DeAny has been with us, former mayor, city of Hamilton, talking about what to do with City Hall, the forecourt, and uh, demonstrations that are going on there. Larry, as always, thank you so much for the time. Have a great weekend. You too.